surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About It with Taylor Nolan. I am your host and today is going to be quite an episode. Um, If you are a student um, in any kind of psychology or helping profession, um, if you are recently out of school entering the helping profession, if you are a young adult, a adult, an older adult, wherever you're at, if you're involved in the helping field, um, this episode is definitely for you. And if even if you're not in the helping field and you're interested in getting help, um, I think that this episode will also be helpful for you as well. Um, so I've posted a bit on my Instagram about some of the stereotypes about therapists and you know, whether or not some of these stereotypes are A, true, and B, if things are unethical or just considered unprofessional. So today, this is going to be like a one of multiple part episodes. Um, today's guest is a registered clinical counselor in BC. Um, so she works remotely um, with those clients from BC and lives in New York. Um, she is it more of a coach here in the States um, as she does not have a current license to practice therapy in the States. Um, so that's important to keep in mind the just distinguishing factors of, of this kind of experience and ethically what's involved here. Um, but I do want to answer a few of your questions here before we get into this call with Megan. Um, And like I said, this will be a two-part episode, so I'm going to continue this conversation on ethics and being a professional in the helping field of having some kind of public knowledge and just kind of how to navigate social media um, as a professional. Um, So some of the questions, let's see, you guys had a lot of really good ones, so I'll get to some now. Hopefully my conversation with Megan will answer a few of those as well, and part two of this episode with... um, I'm hoping it will be a guest that is actually with the American Counseling Association, plus um, some other therapists in different stages of life. So I want to get as many you know voices in on this as possible because everyone does things a little bit differently. Um, okay, so one of the questions, just kind of to start off, uh, one of you said, I honestly don't even know how to get a therapist's help. I'm scared. It'll be awkward. I don't even know where to start. So... First, I just want to put this out there. They're not a sponsor for the pod, but I would love if they were. (laughs) Um, So psychologytoday.com is a great, great, great resource. Um, You can filter for if you're looking for a male therapist, a female therapist, um, a... You know, a therapist in your area that takes your insurance, um, what kind of specific issues you're looking to address in your sessions. Um, you can kind of filter for all these things and it just makes it super easy to sort through. Um, it can be a very overwhelming process for sure, but be kind to yourself, you know, take it one 
profile at a time. Um, so second question here that I'm going to answer is what my education is. Uh, someone said, what is your education? Did you get your master's PhD? Where at? Uh, so I have a bachelor's degree in psychology from Stevenson University in Baltimore County. And then I have my master's degree um, in clinical mental health counseling from Johns Hopkins University, which is also uh, in Baltimore. So that's kind of my background. I am a NCC, which is a nationally certified counselor, uh, which, you know, I, I took the national, national counselor exam. Uh, usually people take that after they've already done their hours post-grad. I just took mine right out of grad and I'm still working towards my hours. Um, but so I have that. And then I'm a LMHCA, which is a licensed mental health counselor associate here in Washington state. Um, so not fully licensed yet, but working on it. Uh, next question that I want to answer here is self-disclosure on the therapist part, risks and benefits to the therapeutic relationship and efficiency. So this is very important. And I think when we talk about social media and, you know, therapists having a public, uh, image or identity that it's assumed that everything that is public that that therapist does in their personal life is self-disclosure to their clients. Now, while I agree on some level that yes, it is, you know, you are disclosing information about yourself, but it is not, however, in the therapeutic setting. Um, And typically... The rule of thumb, ethically, what is advised in terms of self-disclosure uh, in the therapist environment is to only self-disclose when it's going to be beneficial for the client. So the things that I share uh, with my family, with my friends are not going to be the same things that I'm going to share in my session with a client. Uh, it may be beneficial, say, if a client is struggling in an, in an abusive relationship for me to potentially share you know, I understand what you're going through. You're not alone. Um, to the to the point to empathize with the client and for the client to feel like they're not alone. Um, so I think there's a very different uh, distinction here between having information out there on social media and displaying self-disclosure in the therapeutic setting with a client. Um, there are definitely risks in doing self-disclosure, even when done ethically, uh, that, you know, it, it could make the client feel uncomfortable. Um, there's always a, a thin line there and making sure that the rapport is already built up and, um, that it's actually going to be of benefit to the client. So I hope that that answers that question. Uh, and then someone else asked, is it a sound idea to ask you as a therapist tips for mental health on social media? So I'm, I'm not sure how sound uh, because on my personal social media account, while public, it is not a professional account in terms of my uh, licensing. So it's not like my private practices uh, Instagram page. And ACA, which is the American Counseling Association, their code of ethics, which was put out in 2014, has a section that's specific to social media, section H6 on page uh, 18 of the code of ethics, um, states that it's 
it's very highly encouraged that there are two separate social media accounts. So if you are um, a therapist or a helper who, you know, again, this is ACA code of ethics, so it's specific to counselors. However, I think it's a good practice ethically to apply to helpers and all different kinds of situations. So of having two distinct accounts, one that is personal, one that is distinctly personal and the other that is uh, distinctly professional. So I'll have a private practice Instagram page that it, that is my organization. Um, and often you'll see different group practices have Instagram accounts and Facebooks and whatnot that you can follow. Uh, and they will put out tips for mental health uh, and answer some questions on there. So I will say that A, as a boundary, which I'll get into more of this either later in this episode with Megan or in part two of this, um, I would not answer questions from clients if they reached out to me via social media. And I would say it's okay to ask me questions and tips on mental health on my social media because it is something I'm passionate about and that I advocate for even in in a non-professional setting. Um, However, to be very clear and understanding that I'm not giving any kind of advice or tips as your therapist, Um, that you know, I'm not at all practicing when I am uh, interacting with, you know, just you guys on my Instagram when you ask questions. So I hope that that makes sense. Okay, it's that time. I want to take a little bit of a break here because if you guys are starting to update your wardrobe as the seasons are changing or if you're just like not a stylish person like I am, I am telling you I have found the place for you. Shoe Dazzle is literally the place to get your shoe fix and not even just shoes. Their clothing, their accessories, they have thousands of ways to step up your look, which can be intimidating, but let me tell you, they really they, they really help you out. Um, not only do they have the latest trends if you're looking for something new or specific, but you can keep checking in because they drop new styles literally every week, um, but you're given this really fun style quiz to personalize your shopping experience. So for me, it was like, you know, I'm basically either super casual or I'm like very done up. Um, and you can shop as a guest. Um, but I'm telling you right now, you want to shop as a VIP member because it is definitely the best way to go. Um, you save actually 30% off most retail prices all day, every day. Plus you get free shipping and returns. Not to mention tons of other exclusive sales and perks. So I love being a VIP member. I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, but it's also a flexible membership. So each month you can choose to stop or skip. And again, you get 30% off every single day, guys. So update that wardrobe. (laughs) Now it's time to sign up as a VIP because right now you'll get your first pair of shoes for $75 off. Jeez Louise, that's literally as low as $10. You you can't beat that. I don't know where else you can beat that. This is an exclusive deal for podcast listeners. So make sure you go to shoedazzle.com slash about it to get it. Again, that's shoedazzle.com slash about it to step up your look today for as low as $10. Shoedazzle.com slash about it. I'm about to go to shoedazzle.com slash about it right now because this is just too tempting and I need some more shoes. <laughs> but okay, okay. Let's get refocused, refocused. Okay, we can get back to the show. Um, and let me pick one more question here. Uh, 
there really, honestly, there's just so, so many good questions. Uh, someone asked if I will be referring or if I will be referencing the social media standards set forth uh, in the ACA Code of Ethics, which, yes, already have a little bit. And um, someone asked, has anyone in the field ever discredited your capabilities because you're a reality TV star? Hmm. That is a good question. <laughs> um, I think it, I'll, I'll share a little bit on this before we get into this call with Megan. Um, I think a lot of people have attempted to discredit my capabilities as a therapist because I was on a reality TV show. And I think in many other ways, I've experienced people trying to discredit my capabilities as a therapist, being a young therapist, being a woman of color as a therapist, just being, you know, fresh in the field in a way um, that that's, you know, I've tried to been discredited just for all of those things and definitely going on The Bachelor and on Paradise. Um, I've experienced people trying to you know, there was, when, when the show first came out, I remember, you know, Jimmy Kimmel always goes through the cast and this was what everyone said was, you know, oh, there's a mental health counselor. Oh, well, she must, she must need mental health counseling if she's going on the show. And it was done in such a negative way that really only perpetuates the stigma around people getting help and around just the mental health field in general. So that I felt was super harmful overall to the field and to my capabilities as a therapist because it essentially says that if you are seeking help or if you are doing something maybe a little bit outrageous <laughs> um, or maybe a little bit contradictory to what someone would expect of you, that you must need help. And to me, being a therapist who also goes to therapy is not a negative thing. That's actually a very beneficial thing, a very... Um, I think well-rounding thing that you can do as a therapist. So I don't think don't think that I've allowed myself to be shamed in that way because I just feel like that's such a silly statement for people to say. However, um, you know, in terms of <laughs> being professional, people have definitely tried to discredit me in saying that you know, being going on reality TV takes away from your professionalism and. I've tried to really challenge that notion just because to me, that's my private life. Certainly it is made very public. However, that's a personal, it's maybe private life isn't the right word, but I'd say personal life. Now that, that's a decision I'm making in my personal life. And, you know, the way that I'm going to act in a professional setting with a counselor or in a workshop or whatever is going to be still pretty authentic to who I am on reality TV, but it's also in a very different setting. And we like change so much based on our environment and who we're around and what we're experiencing. And so I think it's really unfair to kind of judge someone in one setting saying, you know, this must be how they're going to be in all situations. And because they acted this way on this one thing, you know, this is how they're going to be in this setting. And I don't think you can really judge someone's capabilities as a helper um, in such an extreme experience of your personal life, reality TV being one of them where, you know, you, it's a, it's a complete, um, 
not only is it a social experiment that you are entering into, but it is also um, a very controlled environment. So you're you're very much in a manipulated space where you don't have your phone, you don't have your TV, you don't have music, um, and and all of these things kind of that you would usually use to cope and your social support, all that stuff. Uh, it's really a huge challenge and. It's, it's one of those spaces where you struggle, but that you come out stronger. So I think if, if anything, when people have tried to discredit my capabilities as a therapist because I've been on the show, if anything, I say being on the show and that whole experience in and of itself has done nothing but to help me grow as a person, which is then also going to help me grow as a therapist. And just as I want to encourage my my clients to live a well-rounded life and to experience all of the experiences that, that, that they desire and that they yearn for and that they want to challenge themselves in, I want to give myself that same encouragement and that space to be non-judgmental of myself, to be free to explore things. And I think that's something that's so lacking in a lot of uh, areas of our lives and the judgments that we put on ourselves. So um, it's really unfortunate. And I will say to the point of discrediting my abilities, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of like different work opportunities to work with other people within the helping field uh, from being on the show. So even though I might've maybe got somewhat of a bad rap or I would have been judged as a therapist on a reality TV show, um, I think it actually shows a lot of strength that maybe isn't so visible from the get-go, but a layer deep is really present. Um, and, you know, I still think I have handled myself in a quote-unquote professional manner in my personal life, which is absurd to even put that kind of pressure on yourself. Um, but really, really good question. And I've definitely have gone off on a bit of a tangent here. Um, so, Again, I, I, I want to get to more of these questions that you guys have about social media and about having a public presence as a therapist. So I'm going to talk with Megan Bruno here, um, who's a registered cl- clinical counselor in BC and works remotely um, with her clients there, but also does some coaching um, around the mental health space in the States. Um, I met her at the Fireside Conference in September. She is the host of the uh, Failure Factor podcast and has about 16,000 followers on Instagram and on a public platform. Uh, It's a public page. Um, And so we're going to chat with her about kind of how she feels about being a therapist that has a bit of a public platform and just kind of the ethics that go around that. Um, So she's, I'm excited to have this conversation with her. Um, and then we'll definitely have another episode with some more people on to kind of discuss some of the ethics around this and the blurred lines that can kind of come up. So it's time to take a little bit of a break. Um, this month, Let's Talk About It podcast is sponsored by March of Dimes. We are partnering with them. And this month, March of Dimes is observing Birth Defects Prevention Month, um, partnering with the CDC. And their goal is to generate awareness among women of childbearing age, families, and healthcare providers about things that they can do to prevent uh, birth defects. And not all birth defects can be prevented, but 
we do know that there are some actions that women can take before and during pregnancy to increase their chances of having a healthy pregnancy and preventing birth defects. So one of the tips that um, March of Dimes and the CDC want to give to help you guys be healthy moms and have a strong baby um, is to make sure that you get a healthy weight before pregnant. Make sure your your vaccinations are up to date. Um, Don't drink or uh, smoke or use harmful drugs during pregnancy because these chemicals can cause damage to the placenta and can actually reach the baby's bloodstream. Uh, No amount of alcohol has been proven safe for pregnancy and its use can cause major birth defects. Um, And also taking vitamin supplements containing 400 micrograms of folic acid every day, even before you become pregnant. Um, If this is taken before the first few weeks of pregnancy, folic acid, a vitamin, uh, a B vitamin is proven to actually help prevent serious birth defects of the brain and of the spine. Um, So again, March of Dimes uh, partnering with the CDC to do some work in Birth Defects Prevention Month. Um, for more information, you guys can go to marchofdimes.com slash let's talk about it. Again, that's marchofdimes.com slash let's talk about it. But now back to the show. Before you continue to listen or at the end of the episode, uh, feel free to check out the American Counseling Association's Code of Ethics, the uh, 2014 um, document, and I will list that in the episode notes uh, description as well, so you guys can click on that, uh, just to kind of keep those in mind. And again, remember uh, Megan's licensing here because the different licensing, you know, different people are required to kind of uh, uphold different codes. Um, So the ACA code of ethics is my code of ethics. um, And Megan's is going to be a little bit different here, but uh, I'm excited to get into this to talk to her. So let's let's get started here. (laughs) Um, Hi, Megan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me in this uh, interesting conversation that we're going to have today. Um, I specifically wanted to talk to you and have you on because you are maybe one of the only other therapists that I know of that have parts of their public parts of their private life public, um, being a therapist with a public Instagram, having 16,000 followers on there. Um, and it's not a common thing that we see where therapists have this public life and public image that's very personal and also this professional part of their life as well. Um, so I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing from you how you manage that and all the uh, nuances around that. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation. I think it's like an overdue one. Yeah, right. Um, and so I'm curious for you kind of how how all this started. So I know like you're a registered clinical counselor in BC. Um, and so when you first kind of entered the world, did you have like a public uh, Instagram? You know, was that something that like you had talked about like your dating life publicly and any of that kind of stuff? No, I mean, gosh. Well, so I finished my master's in 2011. So Mm -hmm. that was actually before I even had Instagram. Yeah. And so I was kind of like in the world of that. I mean, I'd had, you know, internships and everything before that. And then I had like my first major counseling job after that at a college. Um, I guess I got it in 2012. Mm. And I think that was about the same year that I got Instagram. Hmm. And like, I was definitely 
I mean, I didn't even have my, my name. Like I wasn't searchable. I made sure that my Facebook, mm-hmm. my Instagram, all of that wasn't searchable. Clients couldn't find me. Also because I was like a really young therapist, not unlike yourself, yeah. right? So I was like, just turned 25, mm-hmm. you know, and like most of my clients I was seeing at this college were older than me. Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, I wanted to maintain this like real air of professionality. Yeah. And I didn't want people to see the window into my life of like, you know, being a 25 year old yeah. dating. Yeah. like that right and and living my life and partying and traveling and being with girlfriends and wearing like skimpy outfits mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so for quite a while I didn't really have a public presence and then what happened was um later that year I started a blog and mm-hmm. I blogged very anonymously at first I didn't even I mean I think I had my first name in some of them but I was like I really don't want clients to be able to find me. I didn't want people to make the connection as to like where I worked. I wanted to mm-hmm. maintain privacy. I obviously didn't have photos of myself. And, th- and that worked for a bit. And, you know, somewhere along the way, and my, my memory is a little bit foggy, so I have to be mm-hmm. really mindful about like the story I'm telling here. But somewhere along the way, I began to feel more comfortable with attaching like my name and face to my writing and some Mm -hmm. of the stories I shared. And when I've I've always like written a ton and, you know, the writing has been my, um, not only my like creative outlet, but a way that I've coped with my own emotions and stuff like that and my own challenges. And so when I started my blog, it was all very like research supported articles on like insomnia, you Mm -hmm. know, and like anxiety and depression and stuff like that, that didn't tell a lot of my own story because I hadn't really been open about my struggles with Mm -hmm. eating disorders, anxiety, depression, all of that. And so I very slowly became more comfortable, like inserting myself into what I was writing and saying, you know, well, this was my personal experience. Here's what I noticed with my clients. Here's what the research says. Mm -hmm. And so over time, I realized like it was all really trial and error. Nobody taught me like how to blog or anything, but I began to notice like how much connection it seemed that people felt to Mm -hmm. my words when I shared my experience. So there was like a real reinforcement there for me to be open about what I'd gone through and, you know, what I was currently going through and what I observed. And so, I mean, for a while it was, for the longest time, it was just articles. And I've had like, I've had more than 30 million views on articles at this point. Like I've had a lot of articles Mm -hmm. out there for many different publications. And Instagram came a lot later. Like I had had an Instagram account that, I mean, I still the same one, but I had one where again, I just like shared what other people share on Instagram, yeah. which is like little snippets of their lives and whatnot. And, you know, only a couple of years ago, I began to start making a bit more like inspirational. And again, it wasn't with any like strategy in mind. I wasn't trying to like build a brand. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that meant. I wasn't trying to like get clients. I just... I'm like a very opinionated person yep. and I just share. And so I used it as this opportunity to just put some of my thoughts out there and have like engagement and people responded, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And so really, I mean, what is it, 2019 right now? I mean, I'd say only in the last couple of years have I started to like grow more of a following. And part of the reason from that was because yes, like I be, I, I changed my name on there to my actual name mm-hmm. and became more like publicly searchable and made it open and, you know, attached it to my articles and some of the other things I've been doing. But then I also had some like really amazing shout outs from influencers who were like, mm-hmm. hey, like this woman's saying really legit shit, like mm-hmm. follow her, you know, listen to her kind of thing. So that's kind of like what the evolution of my Instagram following has been. Mm. And it's just sort of been self-reinforcing because 
people seem to, you know, get something out of it. And now I feel pretty confident in knowing that like, I do have something to say. And I have this like window into a part of the world or a part of the human condition that we don't really talk about that much. And I think it's really important to share that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like I, I didn't know any of that about you and about your story. Okay, so it's that time. We're going to take a little bit of a break because I got a package over the weekend and have been so excited to share it with you guys. It is Native, the uh, all-natural deodorant, and I cannot even begin to describe how amazing the smell was. So I got the coconut and vanilla scent, and I cannot wait to try the other scents. They have lavender and rose and a eucalyptus and mint that also sound like they would be so good. But I love using Native. There's no risk to try it. They actually offer free returns and exchanges in the U.S. Um, And it's very simple ingredients. Less is so much more with Native. Um, You can read all of their ingredients. They list it on there. It's aluminum free. There's no animal testing and free shipping and returns. I honestly am obsessed with it. I got two of them and I'm like, I love it as my new favorite deodorant. And for you guys now, you can get 20% off of your first purchase if you visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code Taylor during checkout. Again, that's 20% off your first purchase. Visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code Taylor during checkout. But now we can get back to the show. Um, we met at a fireside, the conference that I've spoke yeah. about several times on the podcast. Um, and it's it's interesting because you're coming at it from a little bit of a different um, different experience where it was kind of something that slowly grew over time. Um, and I'm I'm curious for you during that time as you're writing and doing all this stuff, you were at the same time seeing clients, yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious for you, like, I think people have this assumption that when you have bits of your private life public and you work as a therapist, that all of your clients are seeing everything that you're posting and that that could be really negative And, you know, aren't you scared to post certain things that your clients might see? And how will that impact uh, people's viewpoints of you, of you being able to get hired by an organization, of, uh, you know, how, how you deal with that in session with clients? Um, has any of that kind of came up for you? Totally. I mean, and I think, look, like those are all really important things to consider when Mm -hmm. you are putting yourself out there online. Um, It's, while it's, I think like a beautiful idealistic view to say like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to be me. And like, if somebody doesn't want to hire me, like that's great. Or like, I don't care. Not all of us have the privilege to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and in fact, like I'm thinking this is like somewhat related, but something that comes to mind for me is I feature um, founders with mental health conditions on Mm. uh, Forbes. And I had someone who I featured and I like wrote an article on them. And, you know, they were doing this really incredible thing and um, had this initiative that I really wanted to support. And so I wrote a, I featured them. And then, you know, a while later they decided it just wasn't profitable and they decided that they needed to, um, get a job. And they asked me, they emailed me and asked me if I would take the article down because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to be so open about their struggles, which was both heartbreaking, but also like a reflection of the reality that we live in. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, like, I think it is important to consider, okay, what are the risks here? You know, we Mm -hmm. can't just blindly go into this and say, oh, whatever, it's fine, it'll be fine. Because it may not be, depending on your circumstances. I think for me, um, I am in a place where I've resolved I probably won't 
be ever looking for a job again. Like, I I mean, I'm not saying that that won't happen. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I think just given like my experience and what I know about myself, if it is the case that I am looking for one, I don't think that will hinder me. I think that I will probably be sought out for something because of that, Mm -hmm. actually my openness and whatnot. And so, yes. And then, and then, so then to answer your question about clients and whatnot, most of my clients now actually come to me through Instagram, which is like mm-hmm. amazing. I never thought that that would be the case, mm-hmm. like that that would be my biggest marketing platform mm-hmm. or that I'd have like a marketing platform at all because none of this has been intentional. Yeah. Um, but so there's a bit of like a, a self-selection bias or like a vetting process in which I know that the people who are seeking to work with me, a big part of the reason for that is because they value my authenticity and my openness. Mm-hmm. Now, from like an ethics perspective, I do think yeah. it's still really important for us to ask ourselves, whatever it is that we're sharing, you know, are we doing it for us or are we doing it for the, our clients or for the greater good? And mm-hmm. so for me, I'm always, of course, there's an ego element for sure. Like, mm-hmm. I like getting likes. I like when people are like, oh my God, you've changed my life. Or like, wow, like this is so powerful for me. This is just what I needed to hear today. But that said, like, I still think it's really important to consider how our posts make our clients feel or just humans feel in general, Mm -hmm. right? And how it might leave them feeling if they were to read it. And Mm -hmm. so I will, I mean, yes, on my stories, I'll share like, you know, I was just on a girl's trip with my, a bunch of my best friends and I will share that on my story. But I'm like, you Mm -hmm. know what? I don't know if it's like the, most supportive or kindest thing for me to like preach about what amazing friends I have when so many people out there and so many of my clients um, are really suffering because they feel socially disconnected, you know? So there's sort of this, like, just I'm constantly asking myself, how is this going to make somebody feel when they read this? Mm -hmm. How is it helping them? Is this for me or is this for them? And when it comes to, you know, certain posts that might be sensitive to clients or sharing information that might, um, that might uh, reference a client that I would still share in a really anonymous way. Mm -hmm. um, I'll ask them. So I'll ask them first and, you know, be like, you know, what is it like for you to, you know, how how do you feel about like if they send me a client sent me like a really amazing handmade card that like, um, you know, was, or, or they had done some piece of artwork or something that, that was amazing. And it was like a reflection of our work together. And it was something that was a quote that I thought could be super helpful for other people to see. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, I said, you know, what would it be like if I showed this on my Instagram? How'd you feel about it, you know, anonymously and whatnot? And they were like, oh my gosh, I'd be honored. And mm-hmm. it was like really meaningful for them. Now, yeah. as, as I say that, it's also really important for us as therapists to know that there is a power dynamic there. Yes. So, you, you know, you might ask a client, how do you feel about me sharing this? Or how can I get, this is why we're not supposed to ask for testimonials. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yep. can I get a testimonial? And then they're like, oh yeah, sure, sure. Sounds good. But that's mm-hmm. because they might want to please us or, you yep. know, they might feel like, they know and so and there's that added layer as well being someone with a high following on instagram as well that power that power dynamic is amplified totally and so you have to use your clinical judgment with that like you have to be really like self-aware and aware Mm -hmm. of the relationship and check in and like name those things and really like give them the opportunity to feel empowered to say no Mm -hmm. in those cases and sorry it looks like you're going to say something yeah well yeah i'm just thinking like as you talk about you know your thought process in posting things. It's a question I've Mm -hmm. received a lot. And it's interesting, you know, that you're saying, you know, you're going to take that extra thought to think, you know, okay, well, how would a client feel if they saw this? And when people ask me that, I'm like, no, I don't think of that uh, because this is my personal life. This is my personal page. Um, Mm -hmm. But it sounds like in a way you've entered 
somewhat of a of a dual relationship with clients um, via Instagram, and so you know, one of the things as I've been doing all this and you know researching more and the ethics and what yeah. what specifically. Um, you know, I'm bound as a LMHCA to um, the ACA code of ethics. And one of the things that they reference is that it's highly encouraged that you have a separate professional profile. And that's something that like, you know, we see uh, the Alexandria Cortez, the um, the congressional woman in <laughs> New York that she, you know, has very high following on her personal page and that the Democrats wanted her to have a specific page that was professional and that this was going to represent her as a congressional woman. Um, and so that the ACA Code of Ethics has recommended that for people in the helping profession too, to have a separate page. And I think, you know, it's, I'm curious if there's something that you've ever thought about because for me, when I think about like my personal page, you know, um, it's, well, there's a whole other layer of a question that I want to get to, but um, I'm curious if that's something that, that you've thought of at all. Totally. So, I mean, I think I'm just honestly probably too lazy to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I like, for me, I mean, I, for one, I mean, I just have never been one to like put effort into marketing. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. feel... Like, or to that kind of like marketing strategy or doing things like, I mean, for me, I like wouldn't be able to make sense of that because they'd be like, okay, what's, I guess, is this like a marketing tactic? I don't know. I mean, I'm really lucky. I don't, I don't really feel like I need to market myself because I already have like, you know, I, I have a long sort of wait list of clients and whatnot. But, um, but I think for me, you know, it really comes down to being boundaried mm-hmm. and ethical. And yeah. so I think part of the reason that there's a suggestion for that is because, there's a fear that there will be a blurring of boundaries and mm-hmm. that most people, which is probably a fair assumption, may mm-hmm. not be able to be uh, really intentional and aware in their posts and be able mm-hmm. to have them at like many layers of um, self, uh, I don't know, conversations I have with myself to decide like, mm-hmm. is this helpful or is this not? And don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure I fuck up and yeah. I know there've been posts that I've done where I've been like, you know what? That may not have been the most helpful thing. Um, but I think like so much of what comes out of our, our governing bodies is really like framed in antiquated models of what therapy should look like. Yes. And I think it's more like it comes from a, a period of time where social media didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And it was very much about the therapist being like the blank slate or the tabula rasa or whatever. Yes. And we were supposed to sit there and like not really self-disclose, you mm-hmm. know, or if we did, it was very rarely mm-hmm. and not really show that we were humans too. Yep. And maintain this air of like professionalism and perfection. And Maybe that was serving at the time and maybe that is what some people need. Yes. That's not what um, is authentic for me and that's mm-hmm. not what my clients are looking for, you know, as a result of them kind of like mm-hmm. selecting our, me for the, our work together. Yeah. I think that we're currently living in an age where we're surrounded by superficiality, we're surrounded by inauthenticity, mm-hmm. we're surrounded by people who are pretending they're perfect, yes. who, who aren't because nobody is. And to me, that therapist who has it all together and like mm-hmm. never shares any aspects of their life or the challenges they're dealing with perpetuates the shame in our clients mm-hmm. that we're trying to help them absolve. Yeah. And, and I think, so- I think it's important to, to distinguish between, um, just being a public person and self-disclosure, um, because yeah. ethically, you know, as a therapist, you are self-disclosing when it's going to be beneficial to the client. Um, totally. and I think that's something that people confuse when you have a public, platform and you're, you know, you have a public social media page or whatever that 
um, every single thing that you're doing on there is self-disclosure to your clients. And um, that's very separate. It's very separate to me. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I would maybe disagree on that one simply because I do think like anything we are sharing about ourselves is self-disclosure. Now there is like helpful self-disclosure and Mm -hmm. perhaps not so helpful self-disclosure. There's self-disclosure that comes from, again, ego and wanting Mm -hmm. to say like, oh, me, 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 that happened to me too, or look at me or love Mm -hmm. me or, you know, um, validate me or something like that. And then there's self-disclosure that's coming from a place of, you know, I see my client's shame or disconnection right now Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever else is coming up for them. And I think that sharing this piece of information based on my clinical judgment will be helpful or could be helpful because it may mitigate or alleviate some of that, uh, what's getting in the way of our connection or that wedge that's coming between our relationship. And so what I think about the the public page and like, okay, well, this is self-disclosure and this is not, mm-hmm. is that unfortunately that's not really how our clients perceive that or how our followers perceive that mm-hmm. isn't really in our control. It's more like, okay, it's out there for them. And because it's public, we don't have control over how they perceive that. And in my opinion, which is totally fair if it's mm-hmm. like conflicting, in my opinion, it's still our responsibility um, to try to make that as clear as possible toward our clients. So I mm-hmm. don't know how you would successfully navigate that, like how you could protect clients from seeing something as like clinical self-disclosure and something as just like self-disclosure mm-hmm. for our own sake or for our own purposes or something along those lines. Yeah. Okay, so it's time for a quick little break and I want to give you guys a fun fact about me. I'm the first person in my family to not um, get pregnant and have children at the age of 20. Um, So... I mean, I'm sure there are many of you listening as well who are waiting longer to have kids. And that's kind of just the age that we're in is women are waiting longer to have kids. And now it's actually kind of posing a little bit of a problem and that one in six couples are now having trouble conceiving. And I'm really excited, actually. I'm going to do this fertility test with Modern Fertility to see kind of where I'm at. It's a take-home test where you send in your test and you get results back within just a few days. Um, They... They really do like proactive fertility hormone tests that often are not actually covered by insurance, um, which usually would cost up to like $1,500. And you can get it at just $159. Um, and one of my favorite parts is that then you actually can get um, your questions answered after you get your results um, with one of their fertility nurses. And there's a weekly webinar, which like, I mean, really it's an eggnar. <laughs> um, and you can get involved within the community with women just like you. Um, so it's really nice that they offer that like extra added support. Um, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what my results are because I'm 25 now and who knows when I'll, um, when I'll start having children, but, uh, using modern fertility will let me know if I have more or less eggs than average, um, what I can expect from doing in vitro or egg freezing and how my hormone levels relate to PCOS, which actually one in 10 women have now. And then I'm just going to get some more overall, uh, general hormone health, which is like super important and something I'm really curious to learn about. Um, and you guys can now take the fertility quiz and get $20 off of your first kit at modern fertility com slash Taylor. Again, that's $20 off your first kit to take this fertility quiz. Um, go to modernfertility.com slash Taylor. And I cannot wait to share with you guys what my results end up being. But fun fact time over and now we can get back to the show. 
for me at least, and I think, you know, something that the ACA is encouraging of therapists to do now is having that conversation with clients from the get-go about boundaries and about social media usage. So for a client to follow me on Instagram or to follow you on Instagram is completely of their own volition. And they, you know, will have understood the risks and the harm that it could cause to treatment, the harm that it could cause um, to the therapeutic relationship, um, and to understand that my social media presence on my personal page, while maybe public, is not a reflection or is not me acting as therapist and is not um, is not me disclosing in a way that is supposed to be for the benefit of your treatment, that that is yeah. me being me and that that is a very separate part of my life. And so I think it comes down to this kind of blurring of lines of work versus personal life and of where I think a lot of young counselors struggle with this. And this was a huge part of what I struggled with in grad school was like, you know, okay, I'm going to be a therapist, like a therapist. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? Like, who am I becoming as a therapist? And I remember like... While I was in grad school, I've shared this on the podcast before, but new information for some people, I'm sure. Uh, while I was in grad school at Hopkins, like getting my master's degree to be a therapist, I was also working as a promo girl for the Hustler Club, which is a strip club in Baltimore. So like I was doing that at the same time, getting paid $20 an hour just to go out and socialize. But I mean, yeah. I'm associated with a strip club. I'm, you know, a young girl in my literally 20 years old um, yeah. and you know, for me, like there was a lot of shame and judgment of working around like, okay, if I'm supposed to be a therapist, like what would a therapist be doing? And it was kind of like, you know, there are things like I got to figure out, like I could figure out my own shit. And like I'm my own person outside of being a therapist. And what does that look like? And that may be contradicting what people think is what a therapist should look like and all of that. But, you know, I think it's for me trying to make it a very clear line of like, you know, okay, I have my business, like my private practices, Instagram page is that, and that is for the professional thing. And that is, you know, if you choose to follow that, that's of of your choice, but understand the risks. And, you know, it's not me. My personal page is not necessarily me showing my clients everything that I'm doing. Um, if, if that were happening in the therapeutic session, then absolutely. That's like major boundary crossing um, of not helpful self-disclosure. But um, if a client is choosing to make that decision and to seek out that information, then to me that that kind of lays on them. And obviously, of course, is is something that we can discuss in session. However, I feel like it's really important to allow yourself the judgment-free space in your personal life. Totally. Well, and I think like, I think it's a very much, so I always say, you know, like whatever serves you, right? And like, Mm -hmm. I think it really is a very individual decision. You know, if you feel like that's not going to get in the way of your um, clinical work. And also, I mean, if that allows for opportunities for actually deepening the relationship, which Mm -hmm. many of these difficult conversations can Mm -hmm. um, or allow, then that's that's awesome. I mean, I Mm -hmm. think for me, I like so much about the way that I practice now after I guess like, yeah, more than a decade of practice now is about like, I I don't like this term radical authenticity, but like, Mm -hmm. it really is about that. Like Mm -hmm. when I, I've said this before on Instagram, but when I applied for grad school in or had my interviews in like 2008, I dyed my hair brown. 
and mm. I like wore glasses. Yeah. And because I, I did used to wear glasses. I have had laser eye surgery, yeah. but I wore glasses. I dyed my hair brown. Yeah. And I like, you know, I I tried to portray this like version of myself mm-hmm. that was still real, but it was only it was only a part of myself. Yeah. It was this like very cleaned up, very professional, very articulate, mm-hmm. um, poised woman yep. who I thought was what a therapist should be. And yep. meanwhile, I was going out, I was getting fucking wasted. Yep. I was like, you know, I think I was dating, still dating a, a boyfriend at the time, but like, you know, I I was I partied, I danced, like mm-hmm. I was bubbly. I um, I've always been like a somebody who talks a lot and talks quickly mm-hmm. and swears and listens to rap music. Yeah. And like I hid that part of myself because I mm-hmm. thought this part of myself is not someone who people trust, yeah. who people respect, who people want to work with. I'm this gonna be like judged. blonde, I'm going to mm-hmm. be judged. Exactly. This blonde bubbly girl, like uh-uh, yep. she can't be wise or compassionate or mm-hmm. empathic or, you know, attuned or good enough basically. Yeah. And when I was in grad school, I got laser eye surgery and mm-hmm. I remember I, I ended up not having glasses. And I remember sitting in session with clients without my glasses and I felt so naked. I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah. what must they think of me? You know, I don't look smart anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was so much of my own process that I had to go through. And we go through these processes both in grad school and as clinicians yep. throughout our entire course of our lives as we gain our confidence and give ourselves permission to be imperfect mm-hmm. and learn kind of like, you know, what our strengths are and what our weaknesses and being able to have those really tough conversations with clients mm-hmm. that we avoid when we begin our work. And so for me over time, it's not like I'm posting. It's not like every time I go out, I, I did post a photo when I on New Year's of me in like a sequiny mm-hmm. skirt parting at yeah. four a.m. But like, it's for the most part, I'm not posting those photos because they're just not relevant to like what I want to share. It to me, that's not helpful, right? As mm-hmm. I said, almost every post I write is something that will, I think, help my clients or help my followers in some way because it is related to like mm-hmm. mental health in some way. And you know, like, how, why is parting in a sequin skirt related yeah. to mental health? Sometimes it's like, okay, so- here's me me being human. So Um, for you, do you ever struggle with feeling like, because in in a way I would wonder how taking that thought of on your personal page of thinking, you know, okay, how am I going to be judged as a therapist through this lens mm -hmm. of of what I'm going to post that, how does that impact you? Like, mentally, emotionally, I know for me, like, you know, even just me posting a photo in a bathing suit on a beach for Christ's sake is, you know, like, oh my God, that's so unprofessional. How could anyone ever want to hire you? Like you're supposed to be a therapist. And it's like, I, in my personal life, like, obviously it's not something on my business page I would post because it's not relevant. Um, but for me and my personal page, you know, it's like, yeah, no, that's just me. Like, Totally. Well, and it's tough because like your personal page too, I mean, so much of your following is from being like a reality TV show celebrity, right? Like, Yeah, my personal life happening, you know, my relationship unfolding. Right, totally. So so your followers are looking for that content. Mm Mm-hmm. Now my clients might not be looking for that content, which is a totally different story. Um, oh, you're frozen on me, Tara. Are you still there? Yeah. Hold on. It says, are you still connected to Wi-Fi? Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm still connected to Wi-Fi. It says poor connection. Okay. Ah, it says the video will resume. You're back. I'm back? Okay, cool. Yeah. I can't see you, but hopefully it'll come back. Um, so, yeah. So, what was I saying there? So, um, I have posted photos of myself in a bathing suit, but it's usually like 
or the last one I posted was with the caption and like a before and after of saying like, hey, you know, I've recovered mm-hmm. from eating disorders. Here's me in a bathing suit, something I would never have, you know, shown before my recovery and whatnot. And, um, and you know, the empowering people to embrace recovery because I do work specifically with mm-hmm. eating disorders. And so I think for me, like, one of our major differences is simply like my followers are not there necessarily for the content that your followers are probably there for, or a lot of them are there for, which is seeing that aspect of your personal life, which is like, which is the bathing suit photos, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, the sort of like the, the juicier details and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I do think a lot of my followers are interested in my life, particularly because I talk about dating mm-hmm. and I, I want to share that part. But I guess like I feel less um, constrained simply because mm-hmm you know, maybe it's even just like this, the small age difference between us, like my, I don't know, my generation, no, like my, like, like those like few years, like, you're like five I, years older I, than I, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, In my, your wise like, age. Yes. At this, at this age. Um, I don't like, I, I just don't feel any, like, I don't have a desire to really share a lot of photos of, of mm-hmm. my life just because that don't have like a point to them because mm-hmm. I just, to me, I'm like, yeah. social media is weird. I don't get it. I still like find it strange. Yeah. It still makes me uncomfortable. And I only do it because I do think, you know, of course there's ego, but I do think the main reason I do it is because I think I'm helping people and I want to mm-hmm. like continue to spread these messages. Yeah. And so, um, you know, just coming back to that piece around like authenticity and whatnot, and this idea of like therapists having to be all like buttoned up and mm-hmm. like look a certain way. I think that like our clients really are craving uh, connection and imperfection mm-hmm. and like a connection to a real human who shares their struggles and, you know, the aspects of their life that are hard or beautiful or beautifully messy or a combination mm-hmm. of all of them. And so, yeah, I guess I like, I, I really, I can't think of times where I, I have felt constrained. I mean, there might be times where I'm like, oh, it'd be really fun to share this, like, no, even like I could even share my trips to Vegas and like parting mm-hmm. with the Stanley Cup. Like, yeah. What like, about I like your your like political views? You know, I mean, I know that's something that you know yeah. I have to ad- ad- let clients know that you know by following yeah. me on Instagram that there are certain things that could harm your treatment and that could yeah. harm the therapeutic relationship. And you know, for an example, like if I share uh, something about you know like during the Kavanaugh hearings of like yeah. my opinion on that, you know, totally. um, how do you balance kind of I guess kind of that, that dual relationship that, that you end up having with clients that follow you. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one where, I mean, it's funny. Have you ever seen the video on, um, on, uh, YouTube? It's like, so you want a PhD in clinical psychology? I don't think so. I'll send it to you. Okay. Okay. I'll send it to you if you haven't, you can, you can cut this out if it's not relevant, but like, um, there are definitely areas where I guess I probably play my coach card and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to listen to that, uh, recommendation from my governing body, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of them is, um, my political views. I mean, I am very openly feminist. I think that because I am white, able-bodied, privileged, straight, cisgender, Mm -hmm. you know, educated, born in an English speaking country, you know, upper middle class socioeconomic Mm -hmm. status, I could go on, right? Like, because I'm all those things, it's actually my responsibility from Mm -hmm. like a social justice perspective, um, to, advocate for marginalized and oppressed populations. And as and, a therapist as well, that's like one of our values in this profession is like advocating for social totally, justice. So totally, totally. And so for me, um, I mean, that's just part of feminism is, mm-hmm. is, you know, calling out, you know, what I perceive to be sexist behavior or mm-hmm. misogyny, um, and other forms of that discrimination or marginalization yeah. or oppression. And so, 
I think it's not that I wouldn't work with somebody who like supports mm -hmm. Trump. Like that's yeah. definitely not an issue. I mean, I have had, I will tell you, like there was a time where um, there was a man I worked with who his, what he really wanted in our work together was basically to learn how to manipulate women. And I had to working with him for mm -hmm. that reason um, because I just couldn't, I obviously could not ethically support that. Um, hmm. Beyond that, I've never in, again, like at this point, thousands of conversations with clients. Um, I've never had a conversation, even if I have like personally disagreed with it mm -hmm. based on my ethics. I've never yeah. believed that I haven't been able to kind of like um, still do good work mm -hmm. or strong work. Um, and if I do, and I will definitely acknowledge my biases like frequently you know mm -hmm. i mean my clients you know they hear me say this all the time i have to acknowledge my biases here like i mm -hmm. need to be my biases because you know it's hard for me to be objective on this or you know here's like my experience or there's something that is getting in the way of me being able to or that will be influencing my response here mm -hmm. um because i do think that's important to our work as well and you yeah. know anybody who claims to be unbiased all the time is is just not self-aware enough yeah. um so yeah so i guess when it comes to the political piece it's, it's more like i actually see it as advocacy mm-hmm yeah, no, I, I I agree with you on that. Um, what kind of like rules do you have? Do you discuss anything specifically with clients? Do you have anything in your disclosure forms that specifically addresses like the social media relationship and presence that you have where, um, you know, like of following clients back, of commenting and of having this relationship on social media with clients? Yeah. So no, I mean, I don't, ha I don't have anything in writing and I probably should at this point. Um, I'm more than happy to share it. mine with you if you'd oh, like. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, I do talk about it with my clients and mm -hmm. I tend not to follow my clients unless they want me to, like, we'll talk about it. And mm -hmm. I just explain like, like, yes, of course you're welcome to follow me. I'm somebody who like, honestly on Instagram, I put stuff out there, but I don't actually really like follow people that much mm -hmm. or like, like photos or like I will once in a while, but I'm just more for my own mental health. Yeah. Like I don't like to consume social media mm -hmm. unless like I literally, I follow meme accounts yeah. and like feminist <laughs> accounts. Like that's basically yep. it. And so for my, for my own, and plus, you know, it can be such an invasion of their privacy. So mm -hmm. unless a client like really wants that or like they follow me and I'll be like, I noticed you followed me and like, you mm -hmm. know, do you want me to follow you back? Or like, what, how does that feel? Or that thing. Mm -hmm. most of the time my clients nowadays like they've already followed me and then they've reached out to me to work with me so mm -hmm. it's not that kind of thing where I'm like oh I noticed you followed me on social media it's like yeah. they're already following me they're already yeah. on information and when I ask them you know I'll always ask my clients how they found me and whatnot mm -hmm. or what like why they reached out and usually like the most consistent feedback I get is oh I like found you through this post on Instagram or I found you on Instagram or Melissa mm -hmm. Hartwig showed you out and I checked you out and like I just like really related to everything that you said and I want to work with somebody yeah. who gets it and somebody who's been there and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and, I, and, I, I got, and there's a whole other different layer for you because you also work as a remote therapist. So you also yeah. do like phone and Skype kind of sessions. Um, okay. and I just, I want to touch a little bit on that point before we wrap up, but, um, yeah. also to, to your point, I think, yeah, you know, ethically, like you, have a conversation with your client about what that social media relationship looks like. And, you know, dual relationships are, can be very, very tricky. And some therapists are like, absolutely none of that. And in another sense, some therapists are like, 
you know, you can see where it can be somewhat a benefit to the client. Um, you know, that's something that I've considered in, in my own personal therapy of, you know, so much of my life happens on social media these days. And, um, you know, we did throughout my time on The Bachelor and on Paradise, like my therapist was watching the episodes um, so that, you know, she was able to process that with me in session. But I've actually never, and, and I very very well could have during that time have been like, you know, it would really help if you could like look at my social media to see what I'm dealing with. Um, I would frequently just show her things that are happening. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, I think for some clients that absolutely that that could be important to say, you know, I'd really like for you to watch this thing that I was on, or I'd really like for you to follow me to see this happening. But at the same time, therapists need to, um, address the, ethics related to that. So like if a, you know, and and to understand the risk that you are now taking into your personal life, um, where, you know, if a client posts something suicidal and you follow them on Instagram, you're now at duty to deal with that when you're just trying to have dinner and (laughs) catch up on friends or something like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The way I see it is it's like, we're privy to our clients' lives in the 50 minutes that we're working with them and whatever else they willingly share. So if they send me an email, if they're like, can you read this? Can you look at this? Can I talk on the phone about this? Whatever, text about something, Mm -hmm. which by the way, like, you know, you have to be really boundaried around as well. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's really naive and again, adequate to say like, nope, only like keeping everything to that session because like, like we're connected all the time. So, um, so the way I see it is like, we're privy to their life for that period of time. They're privy to our life anytime we put our information out there. Mm-hmm. And we have, so that's, and again, this is for me, um, partially also because my account is, it, it's not, I mean, it is a personal account, but it's like a personal account for the purposes of me sharing what I perceive to be like wisdom and advice and helpful information mm-hmm. that I always think my clients and yeah. know my clients yeah. are engaging in. And then as far as like confidentiality perspective or perspective, um, I will never, like clients will often comment on my posts Mm -hmm. and I will always make sure when I comment back, there's no potential um, indication that we're working together professionally. See, do you feel obligated to respond though because they are your client then and then if they see you in a session that they feel hurt that... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, maybe my following, like I do have a significant following and it does, I don't post that often. I probably post Mm -hmm. once a week and that's probably, I mean, I post once a week because I would like to engage with all of my Mm -hmm. comments and whatnot. And so, and I just don't have time if, if I post more than that. Um, so I will respond not necessarily because I like feel obligated, but because I want to, and I really care about my community. And I, Mm -hmm. I really like appreciate that people take the time to comment and share. And it's like such a expression of vulnerability when somebody opens up and is like, Oh my gosh, like this meant so much to me. And then for me to ignore them, like I do try. And again, I'm human. And sometimes I I do ignore them. Um, See, I think I'm just very different in that way where I'm like, no, these like boundaries are firm. (laughs) Of course. Well, and again, you have so many comments and yeah, but, it, it, but even then to, to comment back and engage in a relationship with clients outside of therapy, like I just wouldn't, for me, that's like not something I would at all care to yeah. do. Like I, right. I make it very clear that like, you know, if you follow me, okay, yeah. that's, you know, you, you understand the risks involved. If you comment, you understand that, but like, I'm not engaging in that. Um, yeah. you know, I think the, the general rule that most therapists, um, outside of the social media platform, you know, when you see a client say at the grocery store that ethically yeah. you don't approach them and you don't, you know, uh, 
yeah. bl- I'm blanking on the word here, but bre- breach. <laughs> they, they don't breach yeah. their confidentiality. Yeah. You know, if they approach you, then you can certainly engage, but you still don't breach that confidentiality. Um, and right. so I kind of approach it the same way um, on social media that, you know, you can certainly approach me on there, but like I'm not necessarily engaging. Yeah, totally. And I think, again, like t- what serves you and as long as you have that transparency in your relationship and yeah. they're not going to take that as um, you ignoring them or like a rupture to the relationship, because mm-hmm. that's the thing. I mean, and yeah. again, like it's, it's, I, it, I think it's really like beautiful to assume that they're like going to be like, okay, yeah, whatever, that's fine. I totally get it. But mm-hmm. they may feel hurt. And so mm-hmm. for me, um, you know, a client will often comment like, oh, I can't wait until our next session or like, you know, we're gonna, I'm so lucky to have you as a therapist or something like that. And in that case, it's like, okay, well, like they've, you know, basically implicitly, um, yeah. you know, given consent to sharing mm-hmm. that like we're working together. And so I might comment, you know, either with emoticons or like, yes, yeah. like, you know, likewise or something like that or not likewise that you're my therapist, but you know, yeah. so, so mm-hmm. like, you know, something, <laughs> something supportive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, for me, for me, our work is basically like a reparenting. We are giving people the safety and the love mm-hmm. and the support and, you know, yeah. the non-judgment and the attunement that they did not have or that mm-hmm. they're craving. And so there are opportunities online and through technology that we, in my opinion, are responsible for um, managing potential ruptures. And mm-hmm. so I think like... Even it, outside of the it, therapy session for you. In, in, it, for me, yes. For me, it's, you know, I mean... And again, checking in and like making mm-hmm. sure that we're still, we're not like over-functioning or we're not working harder than our clients or we're not like mm-hmm. sacrificing ourselves to try to like fix or something like that. I mean, you know, I have clients who reach yeah. out with crises all the time and want to meet sooner or something like that. I'm not going to drop everything and not meet them like, mm-hmm. or, and, and, you know, cancel these other things or other clients to fit them in. I'm going to set a boundary unless obviously it's like they're suicidal yeah. or there's a crisis there that is, you know, beyond them being able to wait for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but no, I mean, I, I do believe that like we are always therapists to our clients. And that's like, you know, at least from what I learned in, in through my ethics classes and whatnot was, yeah, like you are human and sometimes mm-hmm. you might meet that client out and you might be drunk, you know, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, that <laughs> like, of course. And yes. then you do process that in the room. And it's not like in that moment you're trying to switch into therapist mode or something like that, obviously. Right. But we also have to be transparent that there is a power dynamic that doesn't Mm -hmm. leave whenever we leave the therapy room. And so we have to just be, in my opinion, again, we have to be mindful of the influence that it will have on our clients Mm -hmm. and be willing to have the difficult conversations that come up. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that may arise as a result of them having a window into our personal lives and, being able to process like how that makes them feel and the tra- basically like the transference that comes out of it. Cause that's really what so much is yeah. about, right? It's like, a lot I mean, of transference. You, it's so much transference. I mean, you know, I've had clients who I know will feel like they'll be cut through their courage. They'll share like, yeah, it reminds me, you know, when I see like you partying with your friends mm-hmm. or like, you know, looking beautiful in a photo, it reminds me of like this person who bullied me in high school, mm-hmm. you know, and how left out I felt. And I just feel like you don't, you don't, you wouldn't get it, you know, or you don't get it. Or something like yeah. sense, right. And so, we have to recognize that like us showing our lives out there. It, it we, can and certainly will impact clients for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and then again, realistic expectations for ourselves. We, you know, there's only so much that we can do within our own authenticity and transparency and then hope that our clients can meet us in the middle and that we can like use that as work in the session mm-hmm. or in the room. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not always going to be the case. Yeah. Um, 
I, w- I want to move a little bit towards uh, some of the work that you do uh, um, as a remote therapist. I know a lot of people yeah. have had a lot of questions about, you know, what does online therapy look like? Um, and just if you could kind of go through a little bit some of the like ethics related to that and... Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's such a new field and I'm mm-hmm. sure it's going to change a lot over the years to come. And I mean, I should really clarify that I, for the most part, identify as a coach and therefore mm-hmm. like it's a bit of the wild west and there aren't really too many yeah. um, ethics when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. And so with my clients in British Columbia, who I see remotely, um, I am bound to ethics working with them. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty much everything still remains the same except for, um, making sure that there is uh, consent to sensitive information being shared through, um, what do you call it? Non-encrypted, I think is the right term. Yeah. Uh, platforms. platforms that aren't HIPAA, compl- HIPAA compliant. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, that's something that I have to like get consent from my clients mm-hmm. around and make sure they, I will get signatures around like text communication, Skype communication, yeah. email communication, that kind of thing. Um, and then as far as like my clients that I see as a coach, which is the majority of them, you know, mm-hmm. like I only have a handful of clients in BC and the rest of them are all over the world. Um, with that, it's really mm-hmm. coming down to my own like clinical judgment of what is ethical for them. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so with regards to it being remote, I mean, yes, like, the obvious one is what we just shared, you know, information is crossing borders and, you know, it's open for other people to see and hackers can get to it and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, the same thing goes like I, no matter, even if I'm seeing a client as like a coach or as a therapist, I'm still, you know, it's still, uh, limitations to confidentiality Mm -hmm. around like harm to self or others or, you know, child in danger or, um, you know, or excuse me, or whatever the, um, being subpoenaed or, Mm -hmm. you know, motor vehicle, like all that sort of stuff is still, um, it still remains. And like, I have that conversation with my clients, whether they're my coaching clients or they're my therapy clients. Now, not all coaches do that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think, I don't know if that's part of their ethics or if they even have ethics Mm -hmm. really. Um, and so for me, it's really just about like, again, using clinical judgment in any setting. And I don't really like take off my therapist hat and put on a coach hat and yeah. change how it work. Um, I'm maybe like a bit more by the book, I guess, with my BC clients, but I mm-hmm. wouldn't even say so. Like, honestly, I think I'm pretty by the book for most of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like the the sharing of information, the potential breaching of confidentiality. Yeah. Um, just as far as the actual work itself, I mean, there are definitely limitations to Skype or Google Hangouts or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you want to use, that kind of work versus in the room, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't see what my clients are doing with their feet. I can't see, you know, I can't put my hand on their shoulder, like, or hand them a Kleenex box when, you know, that feels clinically appropriate, Mm -hmm. right? And so there are limitations. That said, I mean, I think coming back to the ethics perspective, you know, we work from a medical ethics perspective. I look at, you know, beneficence, non-maleficence, that kind of thing, you know, justice, autonomy, whatever. And so I always think I'm like, okay, well, is this doing more? Is this first of all, like, you know, first, do no harm. Secondly, do good. Is this doing more good than harm um, for a person who's in another country or who can't access therapy otherwise, or who has looked all over, seen many therapists and Mm -hmm. is like, honestly, you're the first therapist I've ever felt connected to. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's worth it to have Skype sessions versus, you know, being in the room. Or to the single mom who doesn't get a lot of time and she only has that 15 minutes that she can be away from her child or while the child is there or something along those lines. Like, that's where for me, I'm like, this is more helpful for them to have the limited work that we can do remotely versus yeah. no work at all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And not to mention shame. I mean, for a lot of people, even going into an office is yes. redu- induces shame, especially yes. if they're in a small town where they think they might be recognized, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So it's actually like, I think really helpful to offer Skype therapy. I see my cl- my therapist is in Vancouver and I see her, I just saw her last mm-hmm. week. I see her in person when I'm there, but I see her by scope, Skype most of the time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if I'm traveling, there are times that I'll Skype with mine, but... For for me, I love the in-person. I haven't done any kind of work associated with the, um, with online therapy at all, like as a professional, but, um, I have done several, like while I'm traveling, you know, that her and I will have a FaceTime or a phone call session. And it's, again, it's better than nothing when you're traveling. Totally. And I think we're only like a few years away from like VR therapy where we're, or like holographic therapy or like yeah, something right? <laughs> where we're basically like in the room, but not there, you know? And I think we have to yeah. adapt. Like, and that's how I feel about sharing our, our information about ourselves mm-hmm. as well. Like, I think coming back to like the original discussion, like the adaptation we're making is for the times, mm-hmm. which is millennials, a lot of millennials at least, who are feeling really like, over the yeah. superficial, the superficial social media world we're living in, and wanting some honesty, mm-hmm. um, and who don't so, feel yeah. comfortable sharing and opening up to a therapist who they feel is a blank slate oh. or that they can't relate to, or who they feel is this image of perfection that you know is going to totally. judge them, and it's really unfortunate because that's really the whole, that's really the opposite intention of what a therapist exactly. is, you know. Um, so I think I'll it is important. Forget, yeah, I'll never forget um, a client that I saw that one of the colleges I worked at. And it was when I was really still feeling insecure about being young and blonde and mm-hmm. and everything like that. And I remember this client said to me, she's like, I'm so glad I got you and not the older guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know, sort of like, well, what do you mean? She's like, I could never tell him about my herpes. And I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, like, I never even like, it was so interesting because like, I had lived for so long believing that I was one of the flaws that I had was being young, you know, Mm -hmm. that that was like a detriment to my clinical work. And it was like this moment where this client was like, you know, I, I, you know, I get, and and that's what they said. And I was like, wow, like maybe it's actually a strength to Mm -hmm. be closer in my client and for them to be able to relate to me. Well, and and it totally depends too. I mean, like, some of my best work I do with like clients in their forties and in their thirties, which is obviously not my age. Um, and sometimes the work that I do with like younger adults doesn't work very well. Um, and so it really just depends because some people, yeah, they love having someone that they relate to and that they feel is, you know, can just have similar experiences that they do. And other people are like, you know, I just want you to be a professional and I just want you to help give me your knowledge. And I don't really care what your background is. I don't care where you're from. I don't care how old you are. But I think especially starting off as a young counselor, that that's totally something that you have to fight against. You know, this notion, even when I was on the show of people being like, you don't have enough experience. Like how could you ever help someone? And it's like, we've got to stop putting all these like stereotypes, all these limitations on therapists and on what they're supposed to be. Because I mean... There's just so much that different people have to offer, you know, that it's totally. it's really a shame to to shame them into thinking yeah. that they aren't good enough because they're yeah. blonde and, you know, young and beautiful. That how could they be smart and help other people with what they're struggling with? Like it's it's just absurd. Totally. Um, totally. And the the last thing that I do want to ask you here, um, I think that unfortunately 
being that we have vaginas and are women, that we experience (laughs) things a little bit differently sometimes. And especially being therapists and having this public image that we've kind of talked about this episode, um, how you've considered safety and what that's looked like for you. Yeah, that's such a great question, Taylor, honestly. And it's like, it's one that I'm, I'm still actually grappling with. Um, I've, as Ah, connection. Ah. With or that I'm dealing with personally. Ah, like, you cut, did I, yeah. did you lose me? Yeah, I lost you for a sec. Okay, am I, am I back? Your audio is back now. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah, sorry. So if you want to start okay, over. Okay. I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. That's such a great question, Taylor. And it's actually something that like is kind of still a question mark for me and very relevant for me right now and something that I'm I'm dealing with because as I have grown my following, I I don't think I considered or thought enough about what that might mean for unwanted attention and mm-hmm. my own safety and stuff like that. And it's actually caused me to like kind of take a pause and and ask myself, like, I always I mean, I, I still want to change the world, but I always wanted to have like, you know, international recognition. And mm-hmm. I have started to actually question that nowadays. Like, I'm like, do I want that? Like, it seems like it may come with a lot of anxiety, yeah. um, you know, because I am so opinionated and because I have, I do have things that I share that I think, you know, at a certain point with a certain following could put my life in danger, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I I also, like, one of the things I'm working on is being really honest with myself about where I don't recognize signs of danger due to, like, my own past um, experience with abuse and Mm -hmm. whatnot. And so, so yeah, the the, try to summarize my answer to your question is I'm very discerning as to who I engage with, particularly in my my DMs and who I work with. And that's one of the areas where, again, remote therapy can be helpful because I'm not going to meet like a strange man. Mm -hmm. And I shouldn't say like a strange man. I mean, obviously, like it's not to suggest that like women or all genders can't be um, aggressive or violent or something like that. But I'm like very tapped into my intuition and I err on the side of caution. And even like a, so, you know, a, a, aggressive or enthusiastic message in my inbox where a person's following up a bunch of mm-hmm. times and maybe like wanting to work together. And I'm it's like very, like, very eager to work with you. Yeah. yeah. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm super skeptical. In fact, I'm like, I'm, I'm so, I'm skeptical probably to a fault in some ways. Like I will oftentimes write off my, um, accolades or achievements to somebody wanting to fuck me like mm-hmm. I will be like oh yeah. the only reason I got this job or the only reason that person reached mm-hmm. out to me or the only reason this happened yeah. was because they wanted to have sex with me yeah well you're and not alone that, girl yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And, like, I know a I lot of women feel like that <laughs> yeah and and I don't think that's like fair to us either because it's nope. like no like I, I work for this I earn this like mm-hmm. and you know who knows if if like the person was attracted to me or not. And if that influenced their decision, I don't know. And in some cases, I'm sure it it was the case. But anyway, I tend to think through that lens Mm -hmm. of, you know, I don't want to say like paranoia, but just skepticism. Yeah. Especially when it's, you know, a a man reaching out, wanting Mm -hmm. to work with me, I will 
be inquisitive about like what it is that made them reach out to me specifically, yeah. you know, if they've had experience with past therapists, mm-hmm. you know, what that's been like, why it hasn't worked as we do with all of our clients anyway, yeah. to, you know, really like strengthen the relationship and understand how we can best support them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, There's I guess layers like, of screening that happen. Totally. Totally. And so when it comes to safety, I mean, I, as of right now, I do still feel like quite safe. Mm-hmm. However, I, can foresee there being a time where I don't feel that way. And that is actually really causing me to reflect on like how I continue to build my career from here. You know, like I always wanted to be a public speaker and I think I still will be, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I want to be like a renowned public speaker. I want to be speaking in front of tens of thousands of people, Mm -hmm. but I also am aware of the, how vulnerable that leaves me feeling. Um, And, you know, just how, how, much less boundary or how much more challenging it will be to set boundaries um, when I'm actually in the room with Mm -hmm. a lot of people and I can't just either respond to their DM with a like, I'm not interested or, you know, here's the reason I'm not interested or, you know, in some cases have to block them, Mm -hmm. which certainly happens as I'm sure you've experienced many times. I'm a fan of the block button. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Which I think is is important for us to do and Mm -hmm. model and whatnot and talk about. Um, But yeah, I think... um, I, I don't, it's still a question mark for me for what safety yeah. looks like within these contexts. And I think, mm-hmm. but that's also as women in this world, you know, mm-hmm. like it's yep. like, what does safety look like for us and how do we maintain that? And mm-hmm. yeah, like there are very real threats that we are vulnerable to that yeah. we don't necessarily want to like fixate on the t- all the time because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we don't get to live our lives, but yeah. we also have to be intentional and unfortunately protect ourselves because we have vaginas, like you said. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's a very different kind of experience living this kind yeah. of uh, life. Um, but yeah, I think, I think like you said, it, it is kind of a bit of a question mark. And I think as just kind of as our whole virtual world is changing, that our ethics are changing and our profession is changing and we all kind of have to change along with that. Um, and change can be very, very difficult. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it can be very exciting because you're learning so many different things and, you know, through, through that kind of struggle is where you grow and where you learn so much and, um, it's really valuable. So, you know, I'm very appreciative of you putting yourself out there here today to talk with me and to share some of your experiences. And I mean, that's super helpful, you know, for me and I, and I know for a lot of other therapists to hear this conversation and to just talk about it. So I could, obviously keep going on about so many other things with you and I'm sure we'll chat more and catch up. Um, but yeah, just thank you so much. Um, and if people do have any like questions or want to follow up with your work, like where could they find some of your work or where should they follow you if you want that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you, Taylor. Well, and thank you for your your kind words and for starting this conversation because I think we should be having more of these conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think like you and I, I, I hope one day we'll be seen as trailblazers. Um, yeah. you know, and people who resisted mm-hmm. uh, the you know, whatever because we saw an opportunity and because we are critical thinkers enough to not just say like that's bad. This is good. Here's what I'm going to do. Be out of fear. Yeah. So. Thank you for inspiring this conversation or for, uh, for having it yeah. and opening up. Um, as far as being with me, absolutely. Like I really 
do try to respond to as possible and DMs and comments and stuff like that. I don't really offer like free consultation. Like I don't t- talk to people anymore just about mm-hmm. my experience for free because there are enough podcasts out there that I'm recorded on yeah. that people can hear my experience and my my journey and stuff like that. But um, you know, obviously if people want to work with me or if they want supervision or something along those lines, um, they can still reach out. Mm-hmm. And uh probably the best way to follow me is Instagram, of course, mm-hmm. um, which is Megan J. Bruno, M-E-G-A-N-J-B-R-U-N-E-A-U. Um, they can email me at Megan at MeganBruno.com. They can go to my site, which is just MeganBruno.com. Um, I know Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Um, I have a Facebook page that is a professional page. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think those are like the best ways to reach out and connect and I'd love to hear from them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. It was wonderful having you on. Um, And yeah, I'll put all the links for ways to contact you in our episode notes description. So just make sure that you guys um, check that out after listening. And yeah, thank you so much, Megan. Awesome. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. I could keep talking about this like all day long. Um, and I definitely will keep talking about this. We will definitely do another episode uh, focused on this. Like I said at the beginning of this, I'm in contact with someone from ACA. Hopefully we'll have someone on to really get into the nitty gritty here of the ethics of this. Um, and hopefully it's something you guys enjoy listening to and can take a lot away from uh, because I know it's it's something I kind of nerd out about. And I know a lot of you guys have questions for me about it just with my position uh, that I'm in, which is somewhat tricky sometimes. As you can tell from this episode, sometimes things are not so uh, black or white. There's a lot of gray area in there. Um, so thank you guys for sticking in this longer episode with me and feel free to leave a review on iTunes and you can also send me questions at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com and I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week and I will talk to you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.